Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have been working through a, uh, a series called Vital Signs of the Church. Vital Signs of the Church, and we've talked about evangelism, we've talked about worship, we're now into the idea of fellowship. Um, no, discipleship, fellowship, uh, worship is next week, right, Doug? Um, so we got worship next week. Uh, so today, fellowship. And I entitled the message, Fellowship is Embracing Grace and Extending Grace. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, And they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Just stop there. I was trying to think of what this word fellowship really means. And what does it mean to connect with one another? And I found it interesting that as I got a chance to, to read through this two weeks ago and then again this week, um, it means to share something in common. It means that we have something, this common fellowship, the common thing that we have. It may be a material blessing, it may be time, it may be talents, but you have something that is yours, that has been given to you by God, and you offer that out to someone. You, you share that with someone. God is the ultimate sharer because he shared himself with us. Way back in the Old Testament, it talked about God as being a God who says, I will be with you. That's such a powerful promise. And then you're going through the midst of struggles. You know, as we look at the struggles that are happening in our world today, I, I wonder about people that don't have a God in their life, a God that they can be in relationship with and communion with. How do you deal with the sufferings? How do you deal with the trials? How do you deal with the difficulties without a God? I don't know. Because with God, it's difficult. Without God, it, it's impossible. But what God said to his people, the nation of Israel, is I will be with you, that you are my people. And that was the initial part of fellowship. Fellowship was this communion that we have with Christ. But fellowship is this idea of sharing, which I thought was really interesting. It means to share what you have. This Greek word, koinonia. I was remembering back to a, a former church that we were in, and we used to have koinonia groups and fellowship groups, sharing groups, where we are connecting with one another, sharing with another, um, eating together, praying together, reading the word together, being together. And that's what fellowship means. Fellowship is this idea of being with one another and sharing with one another. But fellowship is not simply just sharing with one another. Fellowship is communion with one another. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 13. In 2 Corinthians 13, it says this, which is, which is quite interesting. It talks about the fact that we are not only with each other and sharing with one another, but we are in communion with one another. It says that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, fellowship of the Spirit, the sharing of the Spirit will be with you all. And as I was thinking about this, because if biblical fellowship is sharing, but biblical fellowship is seen in communion, a communion of believers that come together, but it's a communion that is connected to the triune God. 
that the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in a perfect communion, perfect relationship that they've had for all of eternity. And they had this. And what did they want to do? They wanted to share that love, that fellowship, that communion with you and with me. They didn't lack anything, but what they wanted to do was to share their communion, their love. And this is the only Trinitarian blessing that, uh, or benediction that Paul's going to give in his letters. The only time that you will see a benediction with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what do we see? We see that grace comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that the love comes from the Father. And we see that the fellowship of that communion is brought by the work of the Holy Spirit. But the last two words of this verse really mean something to me. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, you all. That biblical fellowship is the fact that it's a you all fellowship. It's not distinct. It's not for just the pastors or the elders. It's for every single person that we're part of a body of believers together. And as the Trinity is bound together in that perfect unity, we're called to be bound together in a unity as well. Flip with me into Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 tells us another principle that we find in fellowship. So because if biblical fellowship is sharing and biblical fellowship is connected to the triune God, biblical fellowship is also unity in the midst of diversity. One of the cool things about this church is the fact that there are so many diverse people that are here. Not just diverse ethnicity, okay. Diverse culturally, sure. But we're just diverse in gifts and talents. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tim got an opportunity to preach about the different gifts that you have, that each one of you has at least one spiritual gift that is being used in the body and that is supposed to be used to share with one another and commune with one another. But biblical fellowship aims for unity amidst diversity. In Philippians 2, it says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation or fellowship, that's the word, in the spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. What does that look like? Can you imagine a body of believers that had the same mind, the same love, the same purpose, that were lockstep? The lockstep in going towards Christ, unified in love, unified because we are seeking to become like Christ. Far too often times, that's the positive, where we have encouragement, affection, and sympathy. We're similar in our thinking, even in the midst of our diversities. But sometimes we're going to find the negative. We see that here in verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Vainglory is this idea of conceit, that we think of ourselves as more significant than somebody else. That's going to destroy biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is one that we are finding unity, even though you may be different. We don't have uniformity. We are different in the way we think. We're different in the way we react at times. But the fact of the matter is that we're unified in the one purpose. We love Christ. We want to glorify Christ. We want to reflect him to a lost and dying world. We want to become more and more like him. That when we're unified in that way, in the midst of the diversities that we have, there can be a great fellowship. There's a fourth principle I want you to consider about biblical fellowship is this. Biblical fellowship is so much more than just simple human partnerships. 
For those of Christ, we have a personal communion with the Father through the Son. Found at 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. Biblical fellowship is rooted in our personal relationship with God. We can't have a community of believers that share with one another, that is reflecting the triune God, that is really aiming for unity in the midst of diversity, unless we recognize that it's about a personal communion with Christ, a personal communion with God through what God has done for us in Christ, this partnership. John tells us that we have been moved to proclaim, to witness what God has done for us in doing this. What has God done for you? He's forgiven you. He's given you fellowship with the Father. We were alienated from the Father. We were alienated from God. And he's brought you near into a family of believers in Christ. And also a family of believers here. So he's given us forgiveness. He's given us fellowship. But it's not just fellowship on a horizontal level. It's fellowship on a vertical level. We have fellowship with God. I don't know how often times it is that you just spend time just thinking about being in personal communion with God. The vast majority of the struggles that we have today are horizontal. We have been hurt or harmed by other people. We, our relationships are so broken at times. They, they struggle. We get hurt by others, hurt by people that are outside the church, hurt by people that are within the church. But what God is saying to you is that in Christ, there is a personal communion that you have with me, with the Father, with the Son, by the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing you into fellowship with one another. That communion with the Father is only made possible because of what Christ has done for you. There's one other principle I want you to consider. Biblical fellowship is the basis for your true joy. It's the very next verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, That which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you, so that we may, you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy, I like that word, our our joy can be made complete. See, there's no joy in isolation. There is no joy in withdrawing from a community. Community. There's no joy in aloneness. Far too often, people today, Christians today, are because they've been hurt, they will not fellowship with a group of believers. They will sit in their homes today and turn on a TV or turn on a radio, and they believe that they're going to aim and get real joy. They won't. Real joy will not come from isolation. Real joy will come from being together, rubbing shoulders with people, even being hurt in this community, but being loved through this community of believers that we share with one another. We show the triune God with one another. We aim for unity with one another, that we are in communion with the Father, the Son, but that will aim you to real joy. I guess my question is this morning, are you at joy today? Are you experiencing that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was um, killed in Nazi Germany, said this, The presence of other Christians is the source of incomparable joy and strength to believers. 
a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. They receive and meet each other's needs as the Lord in reverence, in humility, and joy. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for us by the will of God are those who are privileged to live in daily fellowship with another Christian. Do you hear it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was put into isolation by Nazi Germany, taken away from fellowship, and when he was in that jail, he was longing for community with you. He was longing for community with another believer. And he was saying that in that isolation, I'm not finding the joy. I long for community. And he was longing to be here in this body of believers. So if the principles of fellowship are that, how do we actually do it? How do we actually fellowship with one another? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, because I, I think Paul gives us ways that we can do this. He gives us a series of, of bullet points, which I found interesting. I love Romans. Um, it's, I guess you're not supposed to pick a favorite book uh, of the Bible because it's all supposed to be your favorite, but Romans is my favorite. <laughs> and Romans, once again, by suffering and sovereignty, Paul longed to be with the believers in Rome, couldn't get there because he was hampered, he was hindered, and what the Holy Spirit chose to do was to write the book of Romans through Paul to give to the Roman church because Paul wasn't going to be able to make it there. And we have the privilege of these 16 chapters in Romans to tell us the good news of the gospel. And Paul, in the first 11 chapters, is talking about this amazing grace that we have in God, the gospel. But then he talks about how we live out the gospel in this community of believers and then to the world. You know this passage in Romans 12, 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, verse 1, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What, what, what Paul is saying is this, that your purpose in life is to reflect God. That's your aspect of worship. Worship is not only music. Worship is not only preaching. Worship is all that we do. Worship means to elevate God. Or you elevate something else. And Paul is appealing to us to live our lives, to put ourselves on an altar as a living sacrifice. He gets into this next section that talks about gifts. I won't go into that since Pastor Tim did that a couple of weeks ago. But the idea of gifts and how we give ourselves, give the gifts that we have in this body. Where I want to camp for the last part of this time this morning is on one verse in particular. Verse 9 of chapter 12. If you read the last, 21, the last verses, 9 through 21, there's almost 20 commands that God gives us about how we can live in fellowship. I'm going to read those in a moment. But what I want to do is I want to focus on just one phrase primarily this morning. Love must be genuine. Love must be genuine. I was thinking about that in verse 9. It says, your version may say, if you have King James Version, I think it says, love must be without dissimulation. 
Your version may say love must be without hypocrisy. That's taking the negative. Uh, the positive way of saying it is this. Your love must be sincere. What does it mean that we have sincere love? It's not fake love. It's not a sham. It's not putting on an act. It's not telling you with my words that I love you, but behind my back, I forget about you. Love means that there is no hypocrisy. It's, I'm giving you all of me. I am letting you know who I am. I am sharing with you the deepest aspects of my life. That's what love is. He takes it in two ways. Love is either without hypocrisy or love is showing sincere love. Let's talk about the hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is this idea of loving in an exterior way. It is just putting on an act of love. See, the calls I got this week, I honestly believe, were not just a sham. I honestly believe they were drawn out of a deep concern for me and my wife and my family. That doesn't happen in a community of believers that don't have love. That doesn't happen in a community of believers that don't have the idea of sharing. That happens in a community of believers that recognize that they've been shared, that God has shared everything with them that they don't deserve, and now they share out of the overflow of their lives. Love has to be real. It has to be deep. It can't be a veneer. In Matthew 15, verse 7, um, Jesus hit the the, uh, Pharisees by saying that you give me lip service or worship with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And it disgusted him. What he wanted was a love that was deep from the heart, a love that was not fake, a love that was sincere, a love that shows itself for who we really are. A love that will, is willing to show my faults to you. A willingness to show who I am. Integrity. That's what love is that's sincere. Without hypocrisy. I was trying to think of why it is that we tend to be hypocritical. You ever think about that? Why am I such a hypocrite at times? I think there are probably a couple of reasons. One I think far too often we seek praise and approval from others. And that becomes my aim. That if I can get your praise or approval, or if you can get my praise or approval, we're happy. We're looking horizontally in our relationships, and it's going to lead to hypocritical love because it's not true love. We crave it. We desire it. We seek after it. We need the approval of other people, we think. We need the praise of other people. And we'll do anything to get their praise. We want that need to be met. But the problem is this, that when you and I go after praise on a horizontal level, we're failing to recognize that it only comes from Christ. Our ultimate satisfaction only comes from Christ. You will never be able to satisfy me in the way that only Christ can. Hypocritical love aims to get praise from others and approval from others. But hypocritical love, I think, also is looking to cover up something. I was thinking about this, that hypocritical love tends to cover up things about our lives. We come to church on a Sunday morning, and we don't really want to tell you the real struggles that we have. I really am afraid to tell you the real struggles because I'm afraid you're going to reject me. Because if I'm craving your approval, I will be fearful of losing your acceptance. 
But biblical fellowship is the fact that I am opening my heart to you and I'm telling you who I am. I'm taking off the mask. This is who I am. And because God has forgiven you much, he'll be willing to forgive me much. So hypocrisy tends to seek praise from others. Hypocrisy tends to conceal something, thinking that if I cover it up, I'll get real love. I guess I ask you, stop this game playing. Stop the showboking. Stop the fakeness. Turn to love. Love is, is not politeness, Martin Lloyd-Jones said. I like that. Love is not sentimental. It's not weak. Love must never be contrasted with law. Love is manifesting Christ. Love is showing patience and kindness and not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant, not acting unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account wrongs suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. Now, if that is the element that fuels our fellowship, can you imagine what this church will become? Can you imagine what this church will become in helping one another and sharing with one another and communing with one another? But can you imagine what it will do to a world that is out there that is going through suffering and doesn't know how to handle it and they need an answer, they need hope? Paul says that um, your love must be sincere. Hate what is wrong. Hold fast to what is good. Paul says that we need to live out the gospel of God's grace. So I want you to think about this this morning. I asked my class earlier, we went through the characteristics of 1 Corinthians 13. And we defined the characteristics of 1 Corinthians 13, and probably most of you had it played out at your wedding, right? It was read at your wedding. You know, love is patient, it's kind, and all those things. I asked my people to grade themselves in light of each one of those characteristics. Give yourself a grade. And look at your life in light of those characteristics, that framework, and how much of a lover am I of God? See, I believe that we need to have a penetrating passion for Christ if this is ever going to be a spiritual community of fellowship. There has to be a penetrating oneness in Christ as well. And I wonder what it is that appeals to you about oneness with one another. Then I also wonder what it is that causes you fear of oneness with one another. What frightens you about oneness? What frightens you about openness to one another? I think it's oftentimes because I'm craving your approval. I think it's oftentimes because I'm afraid you're going to reject me. This penetrating passion, this penetrating oneness is what biblical fellowship is. Biblical fellowship is not easy. It means that we grow in Christian maturity together. It means that I open myself up to the, path, the possibility that there will be confusion, that there will be disappointment. One author put it this way, the greatest joys and the greatest sorrows come from relationship. If you're going to open yourself up to relationship, you will be disappointed and you will find yourself confused. But what the Holy Spirit does is to bind us together in unity. God has given us great mercies. We see that in Romans 12. Those mercies sometimes take you down the path of pain. 
sometimes take you down the path that seems joyless to the fact that your only joy is going to be found in Christ. God wants you to long for connection with him. And then what he's going to do is he's going to use the person next to you to be an instrument in his hands to show his grace, to minister his mercy. Community, this community is going to provide an opportunity for growth in your own brokenness. This community can provide an opportunity for grace. This community can find Christ as our only refuge. This community can worship together in oneness. This community can encourage one another as the only source, that Jesus Christ is the only source of our connection. This community can connect ourselves to one another. This community can restore broken souls. You know, the idea of biblical fellowship, it's it's deep. Real biblical fellowship is going to reach deep places. It's going to be heart level. It's not easily reached. I don't know how oftentimes you come into church and find yourself just deeply feeling intimate with one another. Well, that's where God wants you to be. God wants you to be able to express love to one another. He wants you to go into a deeper level of intimacy with one another. He wants you to remove your fears, reveal your fears, your struggles, your sins, that he wants us to be in community with one another. He wants to encourage one another. What keeps you from biblical fellowship? Pride, maybe. Maybe it's a desire to protect yourself. Maybe it's a desire to promote yourself. Maybe it's this thing that you crave that you think is going to make you happy that I just don't want to give up. I don't know what it is that keeps you from biblical fellowship. But more often than not, it's a desire for self. It's a desire for control. It's a desire to perform. I pray that our community can become a safe community. That we find our safety in Christ, but we also find our safety in this family. I pray that we can get to a place where we could share with one another. That I can be broken before you. That I can face myself fully in front of you. That I can be integrate and honest. Because what you continue to do for me is that you continue to breathe grace to me. And I breathe grace to you. People long for that fellowship, but then they go to the world. They look to the world for their comforts. They look to the world for counsel. They look to the world for their convictions. They look to the world to change. You know why? Because biblical fellowship is so rare today. They look to the world instead of Christ, and now we start to look more like the world instead of Christ. The church must do better. Biblical fellowship is spirit-led. Biblical fellowship must be focused on the gospel. Biblical fellowship is about communion with Christ. First Peter tells us that you're a chosen people. You ever grasp that? You're royalty. You're priest. Priests have access to God. They have life in the spirit, but then they have a love that should be pouring out for themselves to others. In Christ, if you trust in Christ, you are completely forgiven. If you trust in Christ, you're infinitely loved. If you trust in Christ, you are totally accepted. You're children of God. We're saints. We have this opportunity to be able to show this out to a lost and dying world. So in community of people, 
biblically fellowshipping with one another, sharing with one another, reflecting Christ to one another, giving their gifts to one another, seeking unity with one another, recognizing that joy only comes from this union. It's a biblically-based fellowship with our priority, the glory of God. Our passion should be Christ, not I, but Christ. Our purpose is that in this lost and dying world that we show the gospel of God's grace, that people can come into this fellowship gospel-saturated because we become a sharing community. What could God do in our lives if we got a hold of that? What could God do in and through your life if you got a hold of the fact that you're in communion with God, that the Holy Spirit fills you, and that he wants to bring you into unity, into a body, and that he wants to use you to speak the gospel out to a lost and dying world? I pray that our fellowship become a fellowship where we share. As I said earlier, a number of you shared so many ways with me this week. I praise you for that. I thank you. I praise God for that. I pray that we can become a community that does that on a consistent basis, that reflects the love of Christ for the glory of his son. Martin Lloyd-Jones asked this question. He said this, made this statement, I should say, a wrong view of self is the source of almost all evil. See, I get into fellowship with other believers because those believers help me to see myself for who I am. Do you have somebody in your life that helps you to see yourself for who you really are? And then I ask you a question, two questions in closing. What specific things do you need to learn about God's amazing grace so that you can embrace it more and more? What are the things that I need to learn about God and what he's done for me in Christ more and more so that I can embrace his grace more and more? The second thing I want you to ask yourself is this. What specific things do I need to do in God's amazing grace so that I can personally extend it more and more? See, it's not enough to embrace his grace. It's not enough to be part of a fellowship. Fellowship is practical. It's relational, it's lived out, it's loved. It's this expression that God has given us that time after time he reflects himself because he shared with us and we're called to share with one another. How good are you at sharing today? Father, I pray this morning that you would remind us that uh, we live by your grace. I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ I pray that the love of God, I pray that the fellowship of the communion of the Spirit abide and continue to be with us. Now this day, the remainder of our lives, until we see you in eternity. Father, I pray that this church, the chapel at Warren Valley, become a beacon in this world, a beacon in Washington, New Jersey, a beacon in Warren County, a beacon to this world. But Father, that only happens when we go life on life. That only happens when we go practical. That only happens when we start to share. Father, help us always to look to Christ. Help us always to look to the cross. 
Help us to look to the fact that he gave his life for us. I can give my time. I can give my talents. I can give my treasures to others for the glory of Son and the good of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.